0: This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Good morning, River Church. Y'all see my table's a little wobbly? (laughs) If I lean on it and I fall, somebody might know how to like help me. Yeah, post. Yeah, y'all just video this. We'll do live feed. That's how we're gonna go viral for all the right reasons. Um, <laughs> I love that song we were just singing. You know, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere is changing. You see, you know, all those the songs we sing. I love them, or those words we sing. I love it because literally, that's what our God does, isn't it? He comes into a space, he comes into a place and he, he changes it and he transforms a space and a place. And I, and people ask me all the time, um, when are we going to like get our own building? When are we going to, when are you going to build a church? We're going to get your own building. And, and I don't know, I don't, you know, maybe that's in the cards for us one day, um, whatever, but, but I love what we get to do right now. And it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. Um, but we have this really cool privilege of coming into a place that's a secular space and setting up. A holy place, if that makes sense. And a space and a place where the Spirit of God will come and dwell with us, um, every weekend and uh, hopefully maybe hang out through the rest of the week, right? And, uh, and, and, and there's something beautiful about transforming secular into holy and then the Spirit of the Lord. It's like, it's like we get to see in the physical, um, by the transformation of the school, um, what God does in the spiritual when he comes into this space and transforms our hearts and works in our lives and changes us and moves. And, uh, it's just beautiful, man. It's beautiful. And so we have, I just say that to say we have an incredible privilege to do what we do, River Church. We have an incredible privilege. So we are um, continuing in James, and uh, I'm just gonna jump right in. James chapter one, uh, starting in verse 27, and James says this, he says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after the orphans and widows in in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If you look around kind of in our world today, that word James starts off as pure religion is this. If you look around in our world today, religion is kind of a dirty word, isn't it? Like what do people love to say? I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Like, what does that mean? Like, do you they don't even know what they're saying. What they mean is they don't want to be associated with some of the bad things that have happened in religion, some of the, the bad ways religion is looked down. So much so, there's this guy that became famous. His name's Jeff, like, Bleak or something, Bleak, whatever. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. In Christian circles, because he came out with a spoken word that said, why I love, or why, why I hate religion, but love Jesus, Right. Religion's kind of become this like dirty word. We don't want to be associated with it. It's so much so even the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this, humans are in the course of time have taken the liberty of softening and softening Christianity until at last we have contrived to make it exactly the opposite of what it is in the New Testament. And what I would say, uh, Kierkegaard is saying, and I would say that people who don't want to associate themselves with the religion of Christianity are saying by, by their actions, is that they see Christianity maybe in this bad light because in their view, Christianity maybe has become something that it wasn't intended to be in the first place. I don't don't necessarily agree with that, but I'm talking about the way that they see it through their eyes. And sometimes that might come through something they've experienced, um, what they've felt, what they've walked through in relation to other Christians. Um, But to them, they've maybe experienced something. They want to call themselves spiritual because they've experienced something that isn't necessarily Christianity, I would say. Um, back uh, in 2007, I read a book called UnChristian. Some of you guys may have heard of it. And what they did, it was the Barna Research Group. They went through and they talked to people who weren't Christians and asked them what they thought about Christianity. And so they essentially just give us one word, some word association of when you hear Christianity, what you think of, or what you what, what you feel, what rises up in you. And here, some of the things they said were Christians are hypocrites. Christians don't care about me. Christians hate homosexuals. Christians are sheltered. Christians are too political. Christians are too judgmental. Aren't you proud to be a Christian? <laughs> like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual. <laughs> and some of those labels may have been earned. Some of them may have not have been earned. They might have just been something that they've heard or think or feel. Um, but that's, that's not really my point, to be honest, whether those labels are earned or not. Um, what I do know is the Bible teaches that Christianity is never going to be the cool thing. The Bible teaches that Christianity is never going to be the in crowd. The world's never going to look at Christianity and be like, we love them. And they really shouldn't, honestly. And if we have a faith, if we have a Christianity that everyone in the world looks at and is like, we love that somewhere, we've gone off course, to be honest, somewhere we're missing what we're called to be. And the reason I say that is because Christianity in its very nature is called to be countercultural. And so popular culture will never understand us. You see what I'm saying? Christianity is called to be countercultural, and somebody who's not a Christian, it's not gonna necessarily make sense to them because in Christianity, we teach these crazy ideas like we're supposed to lay our lives down for the people that we love. Not only that, we're supposed to lay our lives down for people that hate us. We're supposed to give our time and resources to people who are in need. We're supposed to, Christians are called to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and if they hurt you that one more time, forgive. Christianity teaches this crazy idea that life's not about me, that if I spend my whole life chasing after selfish dreams, selfish desires, at the end of the day, no matter how much I've built, I've wasted my life. These are some extremely countercultural ideas. And so James says, be unstained by the world. And sometimes we're so worried about the world liking us that we get a little stained and people look at our lives, and, and it's no different than what we, they see in the rest of the world. But in reality, the Christian life is countercultural. Someone who looks at Christians may not always understand Christians. And As a matter of fact, they might just not like us for it. But I would say this, that if they're not going to like us, if, if the world in some ways, not everybody, but if going to look at Christianity and maybe not necessarily like us, maybe not necessarily understand us, maybe some people even hate us, I want them to at least hate us for the right reasons. Like, uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Any Cowboys fans in here? What, what? Okay, okay, okay. Any Falcons fans? Boo. Even worse, Packers fans? Get out. <laughs> but I want them to hate us for the right reasons. Like being a Dallas Cowboys fan, if you did a survey of the United States of America, you're probably going to have half of the people, maybe they call themselves America's team. We'll say half just for the sake of it. Half the people are going to love the Dallas Cowboys. That's my team. I love the Cowboys. They're not even from here. They love the Cowboys. The rest of the United States of America hates the Dallas Cowboys. Right? Like, it's not even like there's no middle ground. It's not like, Oh yeah, they're cool. It's not like love them or like wish that they like, you know, quit being a team, you know? Like, just destroy them, you know? And the reason for that used to be in the 70s and the, some in the 80s and in the 90s, it was, why? Because they're winning championship after championship after championship, Super Bowl after Super Bowl. They just win, baby, and they hate us because they ain't us, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Unfortunately, over the last 20 years, that has shifted, hasn't it? Falcons fans said amen. <laughs> just playing, to Steven that's shifted, but why? For all the wrong reasons. They hate the Cowboys because they're overhyped every single year. They're supposed to be this great team. And what do we do? We get to the playoffs. Dez did catch it, by the way, but that's besides the point. Get to the playoffs, flame out. Supposed to be great, win four games, right? Um, they, they have all this hype surrounding the Cowboys, they, and they never seem to pan out. And then they hate their owner because, you know, Jerry's an interesting cat, right? And what happens is over time, it shifted from hating the Dallas Cowboys because we just win, baby, to hating the Dallas Cowboys because we're in the news for all the wrong reasons. And what I would say is that as, as people look at Christianity, I don't want us to hate us for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I want them to hate us for the right reasons, at least. <laughs> if you're going to hate me, I want it to at least be on my terms, you know? <laughs> Not because we're known as hateful or because we're known as being too political or because we're being known as too p- judgmental. I want them to at least look at us and see Jesus. And if that turns them off, it stinks. But at least we're being who we're called to be. And so I would say this, as we look at our faith, we shouldn't get so zoned in on what the outside world says we should be, what some politician says we would be, what Oprah at one point said we should be, but who Jesus says we should be. And so who does Jesus say we should be? He says here in James one twenty-seven. he says, pure and undefiled religion, the way our faith should plan at, pan out, Christian faith should move us to this. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after the orphan and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James in this one verse speaks to so much of the heart of our faith to care for the widow, to care for the orphan, to keep ourselves unstained from the world. And, and we might hit more on the unstained part later. We already kind of have, we've actually been talking about that a lot the last few weeks, even through our Jesus's series. And so today I want to spend some time talking about this. What does this widows and orphans thing mean? Why does James pick out these particular groups of people? Well, one, it's, it's mainly because these were the people who were in the most need, the most obvious need. And the time, that time in history, the widows were, um, if you were a a lady at this time in history, um, your job, your kind of role in society was to be the homemaker, to, um, kind of run the household, um, take care of your family. But what happened is if your husband passed away, you were in a lot of trouble because you had no one to take care of you unless your kids were old enough to take care of you. Or even then maybe you didn't have kids or maybe they, you know, were off, whatever. I don't know. But if you didn't have them to take care of you, you, you were in bad shape because you didn't have any, I mean, I'm not, they have tons of skills, but not necessarily a trade skill. You know what I'm saying? So they can't necessarily go out and make a sword. You know, And even if they did have this particular skill, no way it's going to hire them because they're a woman. And I know sex isn't awful, but I'm just what it was, right? And so the options were have somebody, have your children take care of you. If that wasn't there, um, you're going to have to beg for food or you're going to have to prostitute yourself. Because you don't have a lot of a lot of options here they they had no way to no way to make it and so James looks at them and says these are marginalized these are these are the people who are in need, take care of them church looks at the orphans, and that's pretty self explanatory isn't it? People without fathers without a mother with no one to take care of, no one to watch out for them, no one to feed them there's no there's no uh, homes for these kids at this time in history. maybe join the army. And so James says, he looks at the church and his call isn't necessarily just for these two specific people groups, but for us even today, that is part of who we're called to be, but for what they stand for, right? The marginalized, the poor, we see this theme of compassion and justice. And what James is saying to the church is that our job, Christians, we are expected, our religion, our faith should lead us to lead the charge in caring for the marginalized. To Lead the charge in caring for those who can't care for themselves at this time in history, there's no government, government programs for the disenfranchised, and James says, for the weak, for the unable, for the poor, for the deserted, it is it the job and privilege of the church to stand in the gap? And the early church took this to heart. They stood in the gap really well, actually, so much so that we have commentary from one of the emperors of the time, His name was Julian the apostate, and uh, how he got his name by the way, was his uncle was Constantine the Great, killed his whole family, and forced him to learn Christianity not a great thing to be known for. You know, like that's not what we want our faith to be about, right? Like kill them and force them to do it. No, no. And so Julian, the apostate looks around and he sees how the church is operating in the world. And it makes him angry, actually. Here's his, here's his commentary. He says, it is disgraceful that no Jew ever has to beg and the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but our poor as well. And everyone can see that our own people do not receive this aid from us. He's upset because he's looking at the, only, at the early Christians and not only are they taking care of their own people and meeting the, the needs of their own people, serving and sacrificing for their own people, making sure that no one around them is left without care, but they're taking care of the poor of the rest of the Roman empire. By the way, don't let this get lost on you that the Jewish people hated people who weren't Jews at the time especially they hated the Roman Empire. They were very segregated. And yet what we see is Christianity changed the hearts and the minds of these, these early Christians. And now they're caring for, serving, sacrificing for the Roman Empire without regard to race, without regard to history, without regard to where they came from. So much so, they're doing it so well that Julian's upset. Because they know that this aid, this help, it doesn't come from the government, but comes from the Christians, and he hates <laughs> the Christians. And by the way, this wasn't like, well, they had a lot of money, so that's great. No, these weren't rich Christians doing this. At this time in history, about 90% of the people are very poor, and you got about 10% of the people who are wealthy. And the majority of the citizens at this time have no opportunity for upward mobility, have no opportunity to climb up the social ladder None of the opportunities that we have today, where you were born, is kind of just where you stayed. And yet their mindset was, whatever it takes, I will sacrifice, I will sacrifice, I will sacrifice, and I will care for my brother, I will care for my sister, because that is who we're called to be. That, if I got to be hated for something, that's something I wouldn't mind being hated for. (laughs) And we look at this, this story of the early Christians, this thing that James says really is, is a foundational element to our faith, and we ask ourselves, why is this so important to God? Why is this something that as Christians, he calls you and I to do? Like, why, why do we got to be the ones to do this? Well, I would say first and foremost, just really simply, that we follow in these footsteps because this is who our God is. Like, as we look throughout scriptures and we begin to understand the heart of who our Savior is, we very much see a God who cares for the poor, who cares for the lost, who cares for the weak, who picks them up. And this is why it hurts so much, right? When people look at the church and what they see is a place of rejection or a place that won't fight for them. We need to be a place that will fight for them, fight for each other, right? What we see all throughout scripture is this. Picture in this painting of a God. Well, let me just read. Deuteronomy 1018 says, Deuteronomy 1018 says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner, and gives him food and clothing. He fights for justice for the fatherless, justice for the widow, the one who's coming from the outside. Not only does he love him, but he provides for him. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight, stop doing evil. So he says, stop doing evil and learn to do what is good. What does God say is good? Seek justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. What does he say is good? Fight for those who can't fight for themselves. He even says, correct the oppressor. That means stand up against the one who is oppressing. That's pretty cool. Proverbs 14, 31. This is the one that kind of spoke to my soul the most. The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. But the one who is kind to the needy honors him. (laughs) The one who oppresses the poor, it is an insult to our God. But when we are kind to the needy, when we pick up the needy, when we lift them up, when we fight for them, we are honoring our God. See, the heart of our God is on the side of the weak, the hurting, the refugee, and he commands us as Christians to stand for those who can't stand for themselves, to fight on their behalf. And as a matter of fact, if you remember, when we see Jesus, who's he fighting with? Not with, for Who's he he standing with? The sinner, the lost, the prostitute, the ones that the world sees as the hopeless and the helpless and the ones who's standing on the margins of society. This is who we see our God is. God commands the Christian to do this because it's so close to the heart of who he is. It's his nature. And so this is for us because this is who our God is, but not only because this is who our God is, but because it's what our God did for us. As we look around and we look at people in our world who are the hopeless or the helpless or the weak, those who can't seem to get it right, right? When we look at them in a way, we should almost feel like we're looking in a mirror, to be honest. Because catch this, what God is asking us to do in the physical realm, provide for the physical needs of these people who can't do it for themselves, is exactly what he did for us in the spiritual realm. You see what I'm saying? Ephesians 2, and you were yet dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. We were lost. We were hopeless. We were on our way to hell. Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love made us alive with the Messiah. Lost on our own. Helpless. Can't do it on our own and yet our God picks us up. Titus 3, 3 through 7. I love, love, love this. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and detesting one another. Ouch. <laughs> but the kindness of our God and Savior and His love, you know, it says, but when the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, you know what the kindness of our God and Savior was? Jesus in the flesh. It says when kindness appeared, that's Jesus. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Nothing that we had done on our own, all about His mercy. That's why I think as Christians, we shouldn't be walking around telling people to stand up and figure it out and get up on their own two feet. I think our job is to get down in the dirt with them and help pick them up. We are beneficiaries of this incredibly undeserved love and mercy, kindness, and generosity from our loving Father. Our call, Christians, is to extend that physically to the world which Christ has extended to us spiritually. We are to be the men and the women who stand in the gap for those without a voice. And this, this stretches across racial lines, economic lines, social lines, because that is who our God is and that is what he has done for us. And then finally, I would say, if we're just gonna be a little selfish about this, this matters for us because ultimately this idea that James is talking about is for our own sanctification. You say, sanctification, that's just a fancy word that means becoming made to look like Jesus. In serving others and loving others and sacrificing for others, we are taking our eyes off of ourselves and putting them on something bigger than us. You see, if we're honest, and I know we never really want to be honest in church, right? If we're honest, one of the greatest struggles, maybe this isn't for you, for me in my faith, is selfishness making everything about me. How does it affect me? How does it benefit me? How is this going to work out for me? And yet we see in this call from James for true religion, he says, it's a faith that's not about you. In fact, it's a faith that's very much about sacrificing yourself, your time, your resources, so that you can help pick up others who can't pick up themselves, help build up others who can't build up themselves for the glory and honor of God our Father. And I believe this, church, that if we can get this right, it will be one of the most gratifying and uplifting and transformative things in all of our walk with Jesus. I believe that if we can move from this mindset that's, and and we're all kind of on this journey of moving, God's working and transforming and changing. If we move from this mindset of it's about me, self-centered, self-focused to one that is Jesus-centric and a gospel mindset that looks to build up the disenfranchised in Jesus' name, I believe with all of my heart that that is who we are called to be, church. And it's interesting, right? Like because when we look at people who are actually doing this in their lives, and a lot of you know, in a lot of ways we are. But it's interesting because when we look at people who are doing this kind of stuff, we kind of look at them like the weirdos, don't we? Like, what are you talking about? Like You adopted a kid? That's crazy. You you give your money to help people who can't afford it themselves? That's crazy. What you give to a church? That's crazy, man. That's, that's amazing. Good for you. And I'm like, that is good. That is great. But that's also, we're Christians and that's what we do. That's who we're called to be. And yeah, maybe it seems radical, but it's only radical to the outside world because we are countercultural. And that is, Christians, one of the great adventures of our faith. A life that's bigger than me, that's built for something more than me, that's that expands outside of my own reach. A faith that moves us to care for and build up the people who can't do it for themselves. Because we think about Julian, the emperor, who uh, looks at Christians and he says, this is who they are. I would really like to be known for that. I know... uh, I may not seem like my normal chippy self today, like a lot less jokes today, Mike. <laughs> and I know that I'm I'm a little bit intense, and but my intention isn't like to make us feel bad or to make us like beat up today. My I'm I'm just I'm just very passionate about this text, and I love it, and I believe in it, and and I want to challenge us. I want to. I want to excite you to be honest about who we're called to be. Like, not discourage you, not beat you up. I, I hope you don't feel that way. Uh, my goal is to get us excited and passionate about who our God calls us to be. Like, what, what our faith actually is. It's not those things that I read from that book, Unchristian. All those, all those things. That's not Christianity. This is Christianity. This is who we get to to be. And I think that it's amazing that we have a faith and we have a God who calls us to do this, that we get to be world changers, that we get to be defenders of the weak. You know, there's a lot of superhero movies out there right now, isn't it? Like the Avengers thing or whatever. I I know some of you guys, like half of you are like, what is that? The other half are like, you got that wrong. (laughs) Like I just like insulted both halves of the room, you know? Happens sometimes. But there's a lot of superhero movies out there right now. And, and the thing is, is I love Batman. He's like one of my favorite superheroes. And but why do we love Batman? We love Batman because he stands in the gap for people who can't stand up for themselves. We love Batman because he stands up for the weak. We love Batman because he stands up for the helpless. But Let me tell you something, River Church, Batman ain't coming. And I don't want to like upset anybody, but he's not real. But you know who is the defender of the week? You know who does stand in the gap? You know who is called to be that? You are. And I am. Our churches. I was thinking about that this week, and I think last month was like Social Workers Month or something, and I was thinking about all the social workers that we have in our church, and I was just thinking, man, you guys are awesome. Because you guys are living this out day by day. That's who we're called to be. Defenders of the weak. Fighting for people who can't fight for themselves. We have to change. And and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of political commentary, but there's a lot of stuff that drives me crazy when it comes to the disenfranchised, where we're fighting to protect ourselves. And what we need to be doing is thinking more about the people who are disenfranchised. Our faith isn't safe. Let me say it that way. And we may get tired and we may get beat up. We may get worn out, but Christians, we're going to keep on fighting, and we're going to keep on going, and we're going to keep on giving, and we're going to do every single thing we do, every, every single thing we can do, because it's who we're called to be. And it's not just who we're called to be, but it's our great privilege, and it's our great honor. As we fight for this, we honor and we glorify our God who is in heaven. This is who we are. And so how this plays out for us at the river, we do it in a lot of different ways. One is simply with our our budget. I know we talked about this before, but we set up our budget so that we give away 10% of all of our tithes and offerings. We want to intentionally set that up so that we can be looking for people to invest in, people to love on, people who are in need. And so we want to just kind of put our money where our mouth is. And that's just, we just give that away. Other ways we do it um, is through our I Love My City ministry here at the river which are different events that we do um, in different places. And when we talk about that, when Tyson comes up here and talks about those, I encourage you to get involved, to jump in, be a part of that. Um, Another way that we try to play this out and live this out in our church is through an organization we've partnered with in the past and want to partner with in the future called Mid-Cities Care Corps, which is essentially just mowing lawns for elderly folks who can't do it for themselves. It's ways we can love on people. The biggest one, though, And the one that we're really shifting for towards is a a mentor program called Kids Hope, and I know you guys have heard me talk about this a lot. Right now, it's been in like a trial phase. There's three of us here at the River who have been trying, kind of trying it out, wanting to see how it's going to go. It's a mentoring program that we do every week here at this school, and yeah, the kids aren't necessarily orphans, but some of them, you know, it might feel like they are, to be honest. And what we do is we come in here and we hang out with them and, and we just love on them. And they, they're kids that need someone to love on and tell them that they matter, tell them that they have worth, that they have value. And so in a couple of weeks, and actually not next week, but the week after, we're going to share with you guys how you can get involved in that, how you can mentor a kid, how you can give yourself to that. And even if you can't mentor, if you don't have time to do it during the week, there's other ways that you can get involved in being a part of that. And so those are just different ways that we want to flesh out these verses in our church. I love my city, through our resources, through mentoring, and we want to do more, to be honest. Um, As a young church, we're trying to, if I'm just honest with you, we're trying to learn how to do this well. And we are growing and we're trying to figure it out. But what I want you to know is that this is who we are going to be. This is who we're going to be. This is a, not just a foundational element of our faith, but it's going to be a foundational element, and it has been a foundational element of our church. That when people look at the River Church, that this is who they see. And if they hate us, at least it's because they ain't us. Am I right? <laughs> I want to encourage you to be patient with us as we grow and learn, because we are, again, we're trying to figure this out. But we want to give you every opportunity to live this out through our church. And so I just want to kind of leave you with this final thought that as God calls you and I to stand in the gap, as he talks to you about this, what, is, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? Like maybe you're already doing it. Maybe you're killing it. Maybe you're doing awesome. That's, that's great, right? Maybe you're doing it and there's some other ways you'd like to do it more. I don't know. Maybe you can look around and see that, see like even as we're talking about this today, you can kind of look around your life and see that God has actually placed some really cool opportunities in your life already to do this. And I encourage you to step into that, follow that, chase that down. What, what might that look like for you? Who are the widows? Who are the orphans in your life? Maybe God's gonna call you, maybe in a direction you didn't even think He would. Cause you to step outside your comfort zone just a little bit. We get to, for better or worse, we get to be superheroes in the name of Jesus. Ask God this week, ask him today, what that might look like for you. What might that look like for you? Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what we get to be as a church and what we get called to be as a church. God, I pray that you would help us to flesh this out and live this out. God, we want to stand in the gap for people who can't stand for themselves. We want to get down in the dirt with them and pick them up. And we're trying to do that the best way, way that we can as a church. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and help us, guide us so that we could do it with the most effectiveness that we possibly can as an organization, as a church. Lord, individually speak to us and guide us and point out the widows, point out the orphans in our own lives today. How can we be who you called us to be? And this isn't a burden on our lives. This is the adventure of our faith. it is an incredible honor to live for something that's more than ourselves. Ask these things in Christ's name.